What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I've got a photographer, Timothy Smith. What's up, brother? Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. How you doing, man? How you doing, Rick? How you doing, John? How you doing, everybody? I'm so happy to Just, be here. Dude, we are doing well. We're, we're happy to have you, man. So one of the things, it's kind of funny, we got linked up uh, with my for my sound engineer. He's a very creative person, was a big fan of your work, and kind of sent me your information. I reached out, and then I looked at your work, and it's, see, you've shot for Vogue, you've shot for Tag Hewer, uh, you shot for a lot of magazines. And when I was looking at your website, dude, you've got a un believable eye like how did you develop that that's like the first thing i wanted to ask you like where's that come oh, from i appreciate that i appreciate that um well it's kind of a it's a long kind of complicated journey to this point so let's say it started when i was a kid right i'm obsessed with spider-man so mm -hmm. i always wanted to be peter parker right and what did Peter Parker right. have? A camera, and he was also Spider-Man. So as a kid, I used to cut up cereal boxes and just act like they're video cameras, or put them around the house, like my whole entire house, right? So what I would do is, uh, obviously as a kid, as a child, I had a, a plethora of action figures. But it was like Spider-Man, Batman, uh, Blade, these different comic characters from quote-unquote, different comic universes, right? So I used to have to figure out, uh, I used to write scripts down, or just like a brief story on why Batman and Spider-Man are both in the same city. Because theoretically, that would never happen, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. One from yeah, Gotham. Exactly. One from Gotham, one from Queens. Right? So how are we going to do this? So I think it started from there. My infinity from just like wanting to create at that time, I believe it was movies, right? So fast forward, things changed, life got really intense. I couldn't really pursue photography. It's kind of like the quintessential black family story. Hey, well, even though I was never pigeonholed, it was like, make sure you go to school, make sure you go to college, you gotta get a good job so you can put you so you can support yourself. And at that time, um art school was out of the question. Right? So uh, I was in college and I was raised by my grandparents because this is a key point. When my grandmother passed away, I also coincidentally got like a student refund check and I never had a check that big of an amount at that point in time. I was in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I went to an HBCU, went to Elizabeth City State University after I had to leave St. John's University because I couldn't afford it. So I remember, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a camera. I brought a camera. I brought a Canon 7D. Because I remember that's what Black mm -hmm. Swan, I heard that at the time, Black Swan just came out. And I think I heard yeah. like Black Swan was like somewhat shot with a Canon 7D. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I said, well, this is it. Simple. I'm just going to go buy a Canon 7D and I'm going to start shooting short films. I'll oh, make movies. That's it. Exactly, right? And I was like, I, you know what I'm saying? I felt I was obviously devastated because my grandmother passed, but I felt this urgency of like, you got to do what you always wanted to do. 
And even before that, while I was in school, I was going to like, you know what? I'm going to make a YouTube channel. Just kind of before YouTube was big. I just wanted to work for G4 TV. I wanted to work for G4 Television, and I wanted to review games. That was my thing. No. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, when you start a YouTube channel, I'm going to start reviewing games and tech and all this other stuff. So I kid you not, I got this camera. I drove to Virginia. I brought this Canon 70. I had like a Nikon lens. That was a vintage lens. I brought it at a pawn shop. So I brought mm-hmm. one of those little $20 adapters and I was going to start sh- uh, filming. I shot like a short film. It was fucking atrocious, but I was getting back into that creativeness, right? And on that set. That creative mind. I got you. Yes. On set, I took a photo, right? By accident, too. I just hit the shutter button too hard. And I was like, oh shit. This is it. And it's like all those feels for me sitting down at this kitchen table and while my grandfather was able to draw and he would draw me these things and try to try to teach me how to draw, I can never draw. I was I'm not like super artsy farsy too. That's also the funny part, right? So I can like never draw. And I was like, always oh, upset. I can't draw. But now with this camera, I'm able to draw or paint whatever picture I want or I see. And that literally just blew my mind. And I only had one more year of school left, so I couldn't drop out at this time. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna muscle through. But the whole time I sold my car to purchase some camera equipment. At the time I had an apartment, right? I was kind of like setting up to be an adult after college. I had an apartment down, I had an apartment in the city of where I was at. Um, I had a car at the time, my girlfriend at the time, we was chilling, we was living there. And I never forget, I woke up and I was like, yo, this is what I got to do. And I know it's shitty, but like, this, this is what I got to do. And um, so we bumped heads with that a little bit, but like, I came back for the last summer, the summer before I graduated, I came back home, stayed in my own place in Queens. I got an internship working at uh, Management Artists, which is a creative agency in New York City. And they manage photographers, mm-hmm. right? But they they were managing like the caliber of photographers like Amy Leibowitz, Tom Moreau, Serge LeBlanc, Patrick DeMarchelet. Like they were like, so my first real experience, yeah, my first real experience with seeing photography was like, to me, this out of worldly shit. And I'm like, yo. So it was a gift and a curse because I was also constantly comparing my work at that time to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there for the summertime. I'm sleeping on the floor. I had that internship, but then I had a job overnight that sometime lapped into the internship because I had to feed myself during sometime. I had to provide for myself. So I worked as a doorman in Battery City Park, worked as a concierge. So all that's cool. I graduated school. I was working on my portfolio. Um, this is also a quintessential, I guess, kind of black family thing. Okay, you have to go to college. You have to like go to college and get the accolades to prove that you could take a photo, right? Yeah. And like that's not at the time, that wasn't really, I'm not gonna say it was a bad advice, but anyway, with getting that advice. 
I then proceeded to go to, um, I applied to a bunch of art schools. I applied to Parsons. Yeah. And this was to get a master's. Well, I originally, because I didn't know any better, I was going to get a, sec- a second bachelor's because I didn't think I was good enough or my portfolio was strong enough to go to a master program. Because, you know, when you get yeah. a master's, you're like at the highest level. So anyway, yeah. I get accepted. I go to SVA. And through then, I was able to like fine-tune the skills that I, I feel like I taught myself over the time. Um, and then once I, it was like a one-year program, but it was all year round. And once that happened, like, ever since then, I just hit the ground running. And running in the sense of just constantly trying to create. And even now, I'm facing the problem of where I'm still remembering those photos that I seen when I was an intern. So it's like, damn, mm-hmm. I want to keep, like, how can I make my work get look like that? Like, I'm, I'm like a super hard critic of myself. So it's like, wow. Oh, I, I think that I think that anyone that is in a pursuit of of greatness and excellence is going to be an incredibly hard critic on themselves, which is why they have that drive in them. I think it's a blessing that you were able to see some of the the most elite photographers, you know, maybe of our generation. I don't know. We could talk about that. Those were sort of your what you were you were what what was kind of forming your your mind at that time i do have a question though like why you you said that art school like you you kind of alluded that it might not have been the best decision or something that you didn't want to do want to do and i was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit okay yeah for sure um that's a multi-layered question too because it it requires different answers for different scenarios, right? Okay. So I would say the initial, here's my initial thing. What I was looking for to get out of art school specifically, I did not get. Okay. And that was a sense of community. For me, I'm insecure about my work at this time, right? And to a certain degree still am, but I'm insecure because I didn't grow up in the museums. Like, I didn't grow up going to different art shows. I'm not super, my family isn't like, well, now that I'm older, I realize a lot of people in my family are creative, but I'm not super artsy-fartsy, for lack of better terms, and I kind of hate this narrative sometimes, I grew up in the hood. Like, I really grew up in like the hood hood. So it's like, I wanted to just go head first and just surround myself with like artists and just like, just tap into this whole other thing. I didn't get that. I don't think it's the program's fault. I think it's just a multitude of things on top of it being a, um, on top of it being a master's program. I feel like everybody was just like too into their own shit to like form community. Does that make sense? Do you, it does make sense. Do you think that that is like the, the lack of community maybe being that every it's it's cutthroat in that sense. I mean, the creative arts, especially if you're going to make a living at that, is incredibly cutthroat. So uh, people people kind of get caught in these traps. Of mm-hmm. my opinion, people need people. Like you can't do shit by yourself. You're going <laughs> to need help from somewhere along the way. But That's it good. takes it takes it takes time for people to understand that, and maybe. 
they were so worried that maybe your work was better or, or their work wasn't up to par that they didn't want to get squeezed out of an opportunity. Um, and another thing, a bit of encouragement, I, dude, I've seen your work, like you not going to museums when you were little, maybe that is what's, that maybe that, maybe that's what's developed your eye to see things because you interpret the world through your shots in your own unique way. You're, you're trying to tell a story in your own unique way based off of your life experiences where, you know, you, if you were had gone to art shows, maybe you would, would have been influenced by someone else. So I would say be as unique as you can and true to yourself as you can. That's, again, I'm talking out of my ass here. I am not in the art world or photography, but in my opinion, dog, like, you know, it's gotten you fucking pretty far. You know what I'm saying? I uh, appreciate it. I mean, and that's that's a valid point. That is, that is a valid point. And, um... Yeah, so I mean, yeah, maybe a lot of it was this kind of um low-key kind of cutthroat thing. But um yeah, man, it was it was weird. It was to the point where I would like literally get up. It was only a class of like 20 of us, maybe, maybe like between 20 to 25. And I was like, yo, it's like thesis, and we all working on thesis, and we have like a studio that we go go to 24 hours a day. Why are we like not literally? I said this in the middle of class, like while we was in between breaks. So like, why don't we like? Why don't some of us just like chill here tonight and like practice our writing or practice our composition? We have a studio with a multitude of lights. We don't need to pay. We don't need to get no get any models. We have us. Like, um. So yeah. And then I don't know when. Um. I'm not one of those people that says you need to go to school to know your craft, right? Especially now, because I want to say views have kind of shifted. A lot of us going to school, getting a good job came from our parents, their generation, right? Where they they work Mm -hmm. in a specific, and their mind works in a specific quadrant, and it's like you exchange time and you get dollars. End of story, right? You work hard, you get a pension, that's it. Our generation, because now we're, we're becoming parents, and it's kind of like we kind of see the fuckery in that a little bit. It's like, why am I about to go get $200,000 in student loan to get a job that pays me $50,000 a year? Like, that doesn't even that doesn't even make sense. Oh, if I'm lucky, I'll get a job that makes $100,000, but after taxes, I might bring home $60,000, but I still owe somebody else $200,000. Then I get another loan out to get a house. Then I get another loan out to get a car. So you mean to tell me I'm a million dollars in debt, but I only make, I'm only bringing home $60,000 a year. Like, it just doesn't even add up, right? Um, no, it so doesn't. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you what, you need to follow that rabbit hole even further, man. And that's, that's, uh, we just, I talk, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but that's improving your financial literacy. I mean, that, it's a game, right? It's that yeah. game that you're just speaking about is a zero-sum game. You're fucked. Like, we live in a very debt-ridden society. So I encourage yeah. anyone listening to this podcast, pick up a fucking book, start reading, and start learning finance. It's not that difficult. I mean, we just yeah. talked about it the, the last show. You know, Dave Ramsey is a good starting point as far as getting yourself a budget going. And then Robert Kiyosaki, as far as like figuring out how to develop assets. 
Um, because we live in a world where there's an infinite amount of money. It's not real. It's fiat, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's worthless. So the only thing that makes it worthwhile is our faith in it, right? Mm-hmm. And, but what's lacking in our world is creativity. It's that mm-hmm. idea. And if you can come up with a good enough idea or figure out a way to make people want your photos, your videos, or whatever, you can transfer that into money. I mean, um, and now I'm on a rabbit, I'm gonna be on a tangent for a little bit, but like if people get afraid of the advent of artificial intelligence taking uh, our jobs and whatnot, we'll just fucking invent new jobs. We've literally been doing that. Like 20 years ago, there weren't professional video game players, but there are now. There weren't fucking YouTubers, but there are now. These people are getting Mm -hmm. paid. So what is the next there's people that are making millions of dollars on fucking TikTok. I'm reasonably positive of that. There's social yeah. media influencers making money. There's podcasting's now a thing. Uh, yeah. There's there's a multitude of jobs and creativity. There's, I mean, maybe that's the new sphere. Is all the manufacturing things will be done by robots, and we'll just be here to create, and make each other happy. That's a utopia. I don't know if that's going to happen, but maybe you know. No, absolutely. Uh, you spitting right now. I respect it. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot because that's, it's a lot of truth to that. And again, I think it's just so hard for uh, the previous, our parents' generation or grandparents' generation to even, like, they still can't understand it. I'm like, yo, the writing is on the wall. Like, low key, before photography for all that, if I would have still been playing Halo and Call of Duty professionally and still going to tournaments, I could have been a millionaire probably five times over by now. Just just over yeah. that alone. Wait, you time out. Like, were you hmm? were you were you actually playing video games competitively? Yeah, so like even so, in Halo, I was in Halo, I was not a professional Halo player, but my best friend was at the time. Yeah. And, um, I used to play with like we used to play against Walshy, T Squared, um, Nade Shot, uh, the Ogre Twins. Like I transitioned to Call of Duty, and I, I was going to MLG tournaments. I was playing, getting trained by Hastro. Like, but it's just that. So like even now, so like when it's my chance to have and raise children, I can start realizing now. Like, oh, if you're really into video games, you can make this a thing. You don't, you don't have to play it play professionally, but like you can review video games. There's a market for that. Like I know one of my oh, yeah. yeah, one of my homegirls, she wanted she wants to be a movie critic, right? And she's like, oh, but this is pre-pandemic, obviously. But she's like, you know, gotta go to school. I was like, school, you can buy a $2,500 setup for your YouTube channel, buy that $20 a month AMC pass. And you can literally see three movies a week, record three times a week, and just say how you feel about a movie. Like, it's, Absolutely. yeah, why do you need to go to school for that? You don't. You really don't. You, you do, and not only that, uh, you can learn. How many, how many skills can you learn on YouTube? How many, yeah. if I get lost or stuck on something, if I want, if I'm trying to fix something and I'm stuck, I go to YouTube, find a video and figure it out. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a guy on YouTube that is, he didn't have a dad to teach him how to do 
things around the house. He figured it out himself. And he's like, there's probably a lot of other kids that grew up without a dad. So he started mm-hmm. a YouTube channel of just showing you shit your dad should have showed you. And mm-hmm. a lot of people watch it. I can't, mm-hmm. DeMarco pull that guy up. Uh, there's also another movie critic as well. I can't think of his name. There's a guy called The Needle Drop. He reviews records. Yeah, I watch yeah, it yeah, all the time. Drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Needle Drop's a shit. By the way, do you listen to that new Kid Cudi? Uh, so I'm a Kid Cudi fan. I'm a fanatic, dog. Let's hear uh, what you're talking about on this album. So I like the first half of the album. I like Sad Cudi, which is kind of... I like sad music and high music. I know it's kind of weird, but... I personally get an album of seven, maybe an eight. I would give it an eight for nostalgic reasons too, but I give it a solid seven. I'm good with it. I play it. I, 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 what's up? I, I still play it. I still listen I to that. some of it. Oh yeah, I I love. I like. I think the void was probably my favorite song on that whole album. Like it was yeah. just. It just, yeah. just hit me, man. There was this, it's like a throwback. What I, I loved, mm-hmm. so I liked it when he did that 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 punk album too. And everyone just trashed oh, uh, Cuddy. They just, Speeding Bullet or something like that? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Speed Faster and Speeding Bullet or something like that. Yeah. Listen, did I did I enjoy the album? N- I mean, not in particularly, but what I did enjoy was that he took a step outside of what made him famous because you don't get the genre of music that Kid Cudi created without oh. him being able to, to blur lines. Because if, you, if you're really a fan of music and you listen like, ah, he sampled Bob Dylan's Lay Lady Lay and then made it hip hop. Like how, and like he's, there's Pink Floyd influences on there. Like, yeah. cause I love all types of music, all types of music. So it's interesting when a when an artist is sampling like fucking Bob Dylan, like dude, that's crazy. I yeah. didn't know you listen yeah. to that. Yeah, that's wild, man. Yeah, and look, but, you know, uh, I really love. Let's say I'm a Drake fan too, right? Mm-hmm. But I also know there's no Drake without Kanye and Kid Cudi. Even though Drake and Kid Cudi kind of came up together, but even yeah. one of Kanye's best albums to me, Eight Ways and Heartbreaks, you don't get that without Kid Cudi. You know what I'm saying? You, nope. don't, you don't get a lot of these. Like, Kid Cudi definitely has a lot of seeds within the game. And, like, people laugh at me for this all the time. My top five, like, especially hip-hop artists, is kind of all over the place. Oh, it's kind of generic, but Lupe's in my top five rappers. And Oh, bro, Lupe Fasco? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah, it is. I, I literally just listened to Food and Liquor and The Cool yesterday. Like, it's, I don't know, man. I know we're going on a tangent, but to me, it's, it's those people like that who, like, Cuddy, Lupe, and a few other artists that, like, can... I think Lupe can wrap circles around everybody, and I think K. Cuddy can, like, harmonize and make one of the best songs ever of all time. But they also influence, like, this whole younger generation. And I just feel like, like especially hip-hop, we don't give, like, the older acts enough. Like Bob Dylan can still go and be Bob Dylan. Nobody's gonna say anything about Bob Dylan. But when you're in hip hop, it's kind of like, uh, you too old. We don't want to hear from you. I think yeah, I think that's fair, man. I think that's 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 a fair because I mean Nas just dropped a new album mm-hmm. because I love me. I didn't. I mean, I enjoyed it, but my friends just trashed on the new Nas. I was like, uh-huh. I love. It. I mean, to me, that song "Mastermind" mm-hmm. was my anthem for like five years. Just. Just him being so smart, I just it, it inspired me. But I mean, 
I like to go old, old school and I'm kind of jealous because you're from Brooklyn. So you're right in the, you know, you got Queens, just, just, you're part of the five points. So it's like, you yeah. got there's so much music and history yeah. of where you're from. And, uh, you've got just great, great. I'm, I'm fucking jealous, man. Jealous. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something to definitely be happy and proud of at the same time for sure. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, what's the gentrification looking like up there? Because I heard all the hipsters moved to Brooklyn. I mean, I've never been. That's just yeah. what I'm hearing. What's going on with that? So, Brooklyn's different than Brooklyn anymore. The, the Brooklyn that you heard about, you've seen in TV or movies, right? And for me, being in Brooklyn, being from Brooklyn, it's a twofold thing. I enjoy being able to walk outside at 2 o'clock in the morning. Word. Like, I feel like everybody should be afforded to be able to walk outside and not get robbed five times. Like, on your, you know what I'm saying? But the problem yeah. is with gentrification is when the new people move in and while the streets are safer, which I love, the whole culture switches. And, like, my sister, uh, she's, she's older than me, but she's born and raised in Brooklyn, too, and she said it like great the other day when she was like, New York is kind of trash because it doesn't have the culture. And it's like, it's, it's kind of boring. Well, things are pretty, it's beautiful. We got cafes on every fucking corner, which is kind of weird. But it's like, what about, <laughs> yeah, what about the bodegas and the mom and pop shops and the, the grandmothers and grandfathers who lived there for 60 years? It's like they can't afford now to even live. They lived here when you could buy a house for 20 grand. They lived through all the, the, the crack epidemic, the like that gangster uh violent hip hop ep- epidemic. Um it's like just everything, black Panthers, everything. They live here through that, through all of that. And when it finally becomes a nice, safe environment for them to sit out when they stoop or to go to walk and get groceries or, or take a stroll in the park. Now they gotta get. Now they're forced to move. I. That's the part that I think is really shitty. So I never even would have thought about it like that. I never would have thought about it like that. That that is actually a very powerful statement. Sorry, you blew my mind a little bit. I just would have never thought about it. You lived through all the all the shit, yeah. and then when it finally gets nice, you can't afford to pay. You can't afford to yeah. live there. Yeah, it's like a lot of my friends. Or, or, or if you, or the good news is, like you sell your house, make bank, and move somewhere else. I don't know yeah. where you move. I don't. So that's that's another thing. So that kind of leads me to another question with yeah. coronavirus and, and the bodegas and things kind of shutting down, um, yeah. and people allegedly fleeing New York. Yeah. And L.A., uh, to, to my knowledge, and this is just what I mean, people talked about how bad the riots were in Portland. Truthfully, they weren't that fucking terrible. But like there I'm hearing, right, there's a mass exodus from New York and L.A. Is that how how much of that are you seeing? And, and then the other part of this is I think that that would be good. Right. For that mm-hmm. for that sort of shift to happen, to allow things to I mean. There'll be a little bit of chaos and turmoil and strife, right? Maybe. 
Yeah. But then it would allow artists and it would allow a, a certain, you know, all sorts of weird bohemian types of bullshit to, to happen and, 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 and breed in the city again and create that culture. Are you seeing those things happening? Um, slowly, because actually one of my best friends moved two weeks ago and he moved to a neighborhood where the rent would have been 3000 a month. I think he was able to get it for like 2000 which is still expensive, but it's that dramatic price drop, right? Um, but I like what you I like what you just said. Like, I didn't think about that, funny enough. Now we it floodgates have opened for influence of creators to move in and give it that umph again. Cause now even Manhattan, which is like one of the most expensive places in the world. It's the most expensive. It's the most expensive real estate on the planet, to my knowledge. And I could be talking out of my ass, but that's what I've heard. Yeah, like the prices there are fucking. Brooklyn is more expensive than Manhattan right now. The prices in Manhattan. Are you shitting me? No, no lie, bro. I follow like a bunch of uh, real estate joints on YouTube, and literally, Mm -hmm. it's like seventeen hundred dollar apartment, two thousand dollar two bedroom apartment. So I was like, shit. Now is the time. but take a place like Williamsburg, Brooklyn, that's a, and Bushwick. Those are supposed to be for artists. I live in Bushwick now, but for the most part, it's supposed to be for artists, right? How the fuck is it for artists when the rent is $5,000 a month and you got to make 60 to 90 times the rent to move in? Like what? Like how? Like unless you're a fully established artist and you're making bank, like huh? how does that even make sense? The real estate shit now is is out of control, bro. And I, we just recently moved, so I know. One time I moved to an apartment that we were paying at the time $2,500 for. Kid you not, my aunt lived in the same exact building. Well, my aunt best friend lived in the same exact building. When she was in there in the 90s, when I used to come over there and like spend the night and she used to watch me, her rent was $375 a month, and people thought she was crazy for paying, for paying that much money in Brooklyn. So it's like, cool, the market goes up, but what about the money? The money, like the money that we make doesn't go up. You know what I'm saying? Like, how can you how can you say, hey, um, in New York City, minimum wage is $525. Cool, we'll raise it to seven, but we're gonna raise the rent by two thousand dollars. Like that doesn't equate. So um, I don't well, I think that. Questions, but, yeah. No, no, it's okay though. You're just rapping me. I think you, you you kind of did. Um, but I think that I think that I think that maybe coronavirus could be the equalizer to all this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. The, if, if if there's mass, if the demand for these living spaces continues to fall, then so will the prices. Yeah. So I mean. It could return to that, and that's what you can hope for. I just always think there's a silver lining to everything. It's just up to you to find it. I wonder, and everyone's confused as to why the stock market's going crazy. In my opinion, again, just off the top of my head, I think Mm -hmm. it's because there's a new... There's new avenues for wealth creation right now, especially with the the gold rush that is the inoculation of our population. There is... Uh, everyone's excited. Um, And, you know, I don't know. I'm just wondering, outside of the vaccinations and whatnot, I'm assuming that um, people that are 
selling supplements, wellness products and whatnot, they're probably fucking cashing in. The Lord knows if you yeah. reading, if you're a member of the church of the chubby, you know how much shit I'm on. Um, I'm obsessed with vitamins, but uh, like, <laughs> I just wonder, I wonder who's capitalizing from this at the end of yeah. the day, because there's definitely some human beings that are figuring out a way to capitalize off of this uh this event in in monetarily and i also think there's a lot of people there's a lot of people that are breaking uh psychologically and i think that there are people that are being resilient i i count myself as one of this virus has been the best thing that's ever happened to me 2020 has been the best fucking year of my life and 2021 is going to be the best fucking year. it's going to be the best year of my fucking life like it's yeah. it's i've had so much time to think reflect and educate myself during this these times of isolation i lost 28 pounds i got shredded you know like i i did a lot of things to better myself because you can go you i didn't i didn't start off that way I'll tell you that yeah. much right now I started off this way in a drug drug fueled binge, man, of just drinking and doing a bunch of drugs and just be like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then one night I was like, "Yeah, I can't continue this." Like, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. getting like I just got a little hammered. I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was like, I saw this little beer gut and I was like, "Yeah, man, something's got to fucking change, man." It's yeah. you. Yeah, that was it. I feel you. I'm yeah, that. how about you? Has this been a good year for you? 20, 2020, was this a good year? And what, what do you got going on in 2021? Uh, yeah, it's 2020 has been crazy to say the least, right? So, I mean, when if when everything first started, so I started off the year, we can't, we, my fiance and I, because she's an influencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's an influencer in the health space, the sustainability. She's about saving the planet, right? So I don't want to call her an influencer, but She's about saving the planet. So we left a convention in Australia. When I left Australia, that's when Australia was on fire. That was right around okay. like December. Come home, okay. found about the coronavirus thing. And at first, the shit looked crazy because I was watching clips and there was people like in certain parts of China just dropping on the street. And I was like, what the fuck? Man, it's about to be Resident Evil 5 in here. Like, I was really like, no, seriously, I was like, oh, there's some umbrella shit. Like, it's over. Um, So for like those first two, let's say those first two months, um, maybe three, first, no, no, no. When did Kobe die? Uh, In February? I think when Kobe I, I did. I so. Kobe, because when I found out Kobe died, I was actually on the shoot. Cool. So when Kobe passed away, I was like, damn, that's crazy. I remember I got two jobs right before then, the, then everything kind of shut down. From the beginning of the shutdown, like two or three months in, maybe two months in, you know, three months in, I was like, man, what the fuck? I was going through it because I'm like, this is about to be Resident Evil. This is about to be Walking Dead. I brought all type of weaponry for the house. I was stocking up on food. I, for, to a certain extent, I was getting like high anxiety. Because I think I was watching The Walking Dead, and I think in season three, when they were in the prison, and it was some wild, weird yep. virus that started going around. I'm not woke up in the middle of the night, like, what the fuck? So, anyway, she was crazy. But then, similar to you, one day I was like, yeah, man, I gotta make, like, I can't just bullshit this year away. So, I started figuring out personal projects. 
And then it's kind of like how you said it was Money's Infinite, started figuring out different things. That's why I thought about the Twitch idea. That's why you got to just create this guy, figure out new ways to create. Work started to pick up a little bit. And now I'm coming from a place of value. Cause I'm like, yo, it's the pandemic. If you're reaching out, like, you must really want me to shoot this. And plus, it's the Black Lives Matter movement. So, like, I'm charging what I call a token tax. <laughs> you want the pay <laughs> to be the token, right? So, it's, and funny enough, my fiance and I have a podcast, which is this season one. One of the episodes is called Token Tax. So, I'm like, yo, like, you want to pay me? I need the token tax. I need a Rona tax. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and after, once I started switching the thing about thinking the more positive way, like, you know what? This is a way to actually improve your life. Yeah, wow. Shit's been, it's been really good. It's been really good. I can't complain. And my heart and everything goes out to the people who were severely affected by it. But me on a personal level, and then maybe it's kind of a selfish level, but fuck it. It's, it's been all right. My friend, my friend likes to say Rona made him rich. And in the sense of when he had to come and sit down, and not just rich and wealthy, it's just like his spirit and mental space and everything. But when he had to sit down and refigure shit out for himself, he said, nah, man, like it's, it was kind of therapeutic. And I think a lot, especially now, it's like heavy into manifestation, heavy into like becoming more financially literate, heavy into like getting my, getting my mind and my body right too. So that's the thing I've been like, I, I've been going through phases. I've been hella skinny, hella brawly. Now I feel like I'm getting hella big. So now I was trying to just come out and find a medium with that, as well as work on personal work again. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So do you do a lot of uh do you do a lot of kind of traveling for your shoots? Like where where have you been yeah. tra- like especially during coronavirus? Are you just are you just mainly shooting around Brooklyn or are you kind of shooting uh are you track crossing the state lines and whatnot? So yeah, so this year I went to LA like I think six times. Two probably have been during COVID, but I went to LA six times. Yeah, I think in 2020 I stayed in the US, but I am traveling a lot, like, uh, we'll just hop in the car and go upstate. You know what I'm saying? I, like, go, just go out of state, cross, cross a couple state lines. That way, you just, you know, switch it up. You know what I'm saying? Have a nice change of scenery. I like it, though. It's yeah. It's also been ins- inspiring. It, help, it helps it helps create. I would say this, yeah, actually. What is- oh, God. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, so... This is, I don't think a lot of people know this. So I do have like a really rare eye disease. My eyes is like low-key fucked up. So my right eye, I can't see out of it. Yeah, it's funny. The irony and all this, right? I can't see out of my right eye. I have something called catacoronis and it kind of fucked up my right eye. And my left eye, because of all that, my left eye is fine, but I get dry eye a lot. So 2020 was going to be the year I was actually going to, I was going to get a cornea transplant. And I think I was like kind of up on the list, but 2020 kind of just fucked that up. So I don't know what's going to happen. But also, yeah, it also made me think about it. I've been like this for like since my internship, actually. It happened during my internship. So that was at least like uh, six years ago, seven years ago. Like I've been straight. I've been living life like this now. I just so got, I got accustomed to it. I'm kind of just about to, I feel like having an invasive surgery like that might just rock my shit. It's just, I will get the patch, but I know 
actually know a really dope photographer is a close friend of mine. He already I met him, he had an eye patch. I was like, oh fuck, I can't get it now. Like <laughs> he was like I'm biting him or something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, that, that was just a, a, a random tidbit I had to throw in there. That's what kind of fucked up. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I mean, I get it. You don't want to fuck with your mojo, man. You're hot right now, so yeah, maybe you just fuck it. Maybe leave it. Who knows? Yeah, that's that is wild. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm I should have wrote down what I was going to ask you because it left my brain. But oh, I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was like a fucking steel. I was like, dude, I got this steel trap dialed don't need to don't need to write it down and then i forgot you know how that is it's all good oh. trust me i was gonna ask so your fiance she's into saving the planet is she is she a mm-hmm. member of like soul, soul fire farms or what what is, uh, she, what is she doing so her name is dominique draper she okay. is uh well she works with a lot of brands and to help also bring sustainability mainstream and to take away the narrative, because for a long time, within the sustainability space, uh, it has been, for lack of a better term, a very whitewashed thing. And on top of that, when you think of sustainability, you think of people hugging trees and wearing paper bags, right? But it's like, I don't know about for you guys, but for me, like, my grandma been saving the plastic bags and putting them under the cabinet. Like we've been reusing oh, yeah. a lot of, yeah. So it's like that's a sense of sustainability, and I guess her her main goal is just trying to just to bring all that to the forefront. And it's like if you don't have to drive a Tesla or buy this expensive shit to be sustainable or to play your part in saving the planet. So she works with brands, and then um we work together to create the content for the brands as well as creating the content for herself. And to just help, you know, saying everything just become a little bit easier, a little bit, a little bit greener. But um, I'm definitely gonna ask about the soul fire farms, um, because she's also, she's also into gardening too. Like she gardens, that's her shit. Yeah, I'm in the I'm in talks with Soul Fire Farm right now to get a representative of them on on the show. Fire. So we're, I mean. I probably shouldn't talk about that, but uh, that's uh, we're we're working on that. Demarco and I are working on that, so we're hopeful, pretty gotcha. hopeful. Within with it's you know you know how this shit goes, man. It's kind of hard, but um, it's uh, it's it's that's that's really awesome, man. That's I'm, I'm mm-hmm. glad. You know, it's 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 very it's very bizarre um, in this podcast, right? Like, mm-hmm. I look at a lot of people are in bubbles like echo chambers on social media and whatnot and i look at sort of the people that i'm reaching out to and talking to and i find it funny that we all have the same mindset we're all fucking winners and we all are trying to get better change grow and learn and if you're not having these types of conversations or talking to to people that are trying to evolve you yeah. need to fucking start drop who you have in your life you know absolutely i mean that i mean that's what it is brother that's what it is yeah. i i who i got i do have to ask this question We're, mm-hmm. who who's been what was your favorite shoot and why so far 
And I mean, that's kind of a, it's kind of a, a don't mean to put you on the spot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I just want to say the first one that came to my mind, this was actually in 2020. And this is going to lead to something else too. Um, so in 2020, I had to photograph Victor Cruz and his daughter. This was in the okay. midst of the pandemic. Yeah, this was in the midst of the pandemic. And it was your giants. Yeah, it was super fucking hot, dog. So anyway, excuse me. I go up to uh, New Jersey. I photograph him and his daughter. I haven't shot in months. Some crazy shit happened. The digital tech on set. I don't. I don't know what happened. Everything got erased. Everything. While we're packing up, literally no photos existed at that point. We shot for hours. So. I had I had a difficult decision, right? Exactly, yo. I go explain to this guy what happened. I take my shit back. I try to pay somebody to recover shit from my memory card. And just like, yo, she got fucked up in transit. I don't know. So I, I I end up talking to him. He's a super nice guy, right? We reshot it, but those forty five minutes that he his daughter his daughter was like the the boss. She was like seven. And like she's like, no, I'm hot. And if I'm gonna do this, I need some Fortnite money and I need Roblox Robux money or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, all right, I got you. But let me tell you something, those 45 minutes of photos that we got, those intimate portraits that actually spoke to something. And that's when we started talking about the protests and what's going on. That conversation, and I feel like those those photos that I created in that 45 minutes are some of the most impactful photos to me and the most meaningful photos that I've taken in a very long time. And for a while, they wanted to run the cover of like something happy with them playing, but instead we ran with that, what I would like that intimate portrait of them. And that also, it's my favorite because that sparked something in me to want to start doing personal projects and things that mean, and stuff that mean more to me. Because when I shoot fashion stuff, and it's cool, I don't want to ruin no, my ties with anybody. It's cool, but you know me, shit. Like, it, you, get, you get accolades, you get money from it, but it don't, it don't mean shit. So it's like, and it's funny you said something about farmers. I'm actually doing a project right now where I'm trying to photograph black farmers. So I shot a few upstate. I'm willing to travel across, within the U.S. Obviously, at this point, however long we could do that, but I'm willing to do that and just sit down and photograph an interview and just document black farmers. And I'm trying to do. I'm doing a whole project on that, and I'm, I'm pitching it to a few brands or a few outlets to see what's up. But yeah. Oh, that's that's incredible. I mean, on that note, this is so bizarre that we, you and I, share this same interest of 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 there's because there's a there's a whole part of our culture that has been lost. Yeah, and I find it uh, kind of disturbing that you know we don't have a lot of black farmers or 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 a lot of like black cowboys anymore like there's a there's a famous yeah. black cowboy named Nat Love that yeah. we are our people are very responsible for settling the west as well and yet it's just yeah. sort of gone like that doesn't exist and 
I mean, especially even DJ Jones Outdoors is a black bow hunter. There's there's people that are a part of that community as well. I'm I'm a member of that community. And mm-hmm. sometimes, especially here, I live in a predominantly white society. It's like, you do that or oh, you yeah. shouldn't do that. No, I'm not trying yeah. to be in a fucking box, dude. Like, I want to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And if I want to go jump out of an airplane or shoot a gun or ride a horse, which I have done. And I'm not a fan of that, but I'm going to do it. You know, I have just as much right to do it. Just as much of a right to pursue what I'm interested in. I don't have to be a rapper. Maybe I want to be a fucking astronaut. You know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of what we need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I feel like whatever I give us that power. Yeah, I, I do. I do as well, man. I had, I mean, to be honest, I had some issues with the movement in, because I didn't understand like who was leading it necessarily. And some of the, like, if you look at the the rhetoric of what was going down, like I understand, I know that defund the police doesn't mean defund the police, but that when you use language like that, it's very divisive, right? We're, you're trying to create allies from all walks of life, you want someone that's super conservative to be on our side and hear our voice. And so I feel like, I feel like to a certain extent, the language of it was not, and I'm having uh, Dr. Trisha Goodenauer kind of, she's a, uh, she's a PhD in rhetoric and social protest. To kind of explain, she, she has this, we talk, I just spoke with her on the phone. I just wish that the message would have been different. You know, because as soon as George Floyd happened, the first thing I did is I picked up a book. I read Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom to just sort of understand what it was. I mean, I also think that one thing that I feel like we don't talk about enough. Yeah, there's a lot of fucked up things going on. But at the same time, we've come a very long way as a society. And I don't think that we need to forget that. And I I mean, if you go to I think it's W.E.B. Du Bois uh, graphs. It uh-huh. shows that black people are thriving. Not all of us, but quite a few of us are. We're owning land and businesses and we're evolving. And I sometimes wish that that message was talked about as well as the negative, right? I also want to hear some of the positive, or, you know, for people that yeah. didn't make it in football, basketball, rapping. What about businessmen, accountants, computer scientists? Like, these are the messages that I want. Like, we are here, we do exist. Like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's uh, that's a lot to unpack. I, I have a few things, right? I, under, I, I understand what you're saying, too. I, um, my thing is, while I know the defunded police is a very divisive thing, and especially I heard with Obama, how Obama explained it, and he put it very well as well, very eloquently as well. And it's like, I feel it, but also I also understand like at some point, and I curse a lot. So I, is that okay on this podcast? Oh no, no, this is my mind. I'm a I swear I like you. a Taylor. My show, dog. You're good. All right. So it's just kind of like you can't tell motherfuckers who've been um, marginalized and held back for so long how to react when enough is enough, right? It's kind of like yo, I punch you in the face, but I don't knock you out, right? So you punch me back, you knock me out, though. You hit me hard as a motherfucker. I don't hit you hard, but you hit me hard. Then I'm telling you, yo, bro, why you hit me hard? That's crazy. Just like, nah, you can't tell me how to react. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. Um, but I do think that the rhetoric and the, and the way things are said in the media 
are like that on purpose. They're divisive on purpose to bring, to like separate people, right? So it's like um, defund the police is a real thing, but defund the police also just means New York City police does not need fucking military tanks. Right? Oh, dude. Yeah, the, the vast militarization of our police force is something that yeah. I have been fucking about for like 10 years. So I'm with you there, yeah. 100%. And I, and I think, and um, I think when defund the police was brought up and was said and when automatically got thrown into like the forefront of the movement, that's essentially what people are talking about. You should probably defund yeah. the motherfuckers that can kill you, kill, do whatever to whoever they want to, and then get away with it because they have the infinite resources and money and power, this and this and the third, right? And instead of having, um, I heard, I forgot where I heard this from, but it was an interesting thing. When you have a mentally ill person, let's say a mentally ill person walking around with a knife, right? They don't mean no harm, they're mentally ill, they're walking around with a knife and they're, they're freaking out, right? You call the police. But why not have it in place where you can call like someone who's trained with those type of people to come to the scene? Maybe they are, maybe they are escorted or maybe they are aided by someone who has some type of ability to restrain that person if things go left. But yeah. why not have that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you got two kids and these kids are... Uh, I mean, stealing is obviously wrong, but let's say you have these kids stealing and doing things and you know they're not stealing for the fuck of it. They're stealing because they're having the food on the table or just because things are going Why not also bring a psychiatrist or somebody there to talk and to de-escalate the situation to figure out what's wrong? The first incident doesn't have to be, yeah, I'm going to pull up and shoot you if you, if you if you make me nervous, right? But again, yep. the way that it was positioned and the way that it was said was very, 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 very divisive. So, like I said, I, I definitely understand understand that for sure. We so exact. We right now are talking yeah. about the exact same thing. Like I a hundred percent agree, and I think that most of America would agree with everything that is being had in this conversation. The yeah. problem. So my my problem is when. When things like the organizers of this movement, whom I'm not, I think it's what three women, right? And I don't know um, when the 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 article. So the problem is when you have something like defund the police, it stops the conversation from happening. Like that, what like how we're having it right now, just rapping. People are like, they want to defund the police. We need the fucking guns. That's we know that that's not what it means. But in our age of of an attention economy. No one's going to mm -hmm. dive deeper into what that movement says. They're just going to be hostile toward that, and they're going to form in the opposite camp. I don't really know what the right slogan would have been, and I'm not going to say anything, any of those thoughts. But, dude, I totally get you. I 100% agree with Because I definitely think you should send a mental health expert to de-escalate or at least have better training for cops too to de-escalate all sorts of situation but i mean i know i know you're pro cop like good cop and we're all pro good cops because when shit goes down who's it we're going to call someone right mm -hmm. like i mean but it's it's really bizarre dude like and i really hope like my hope was that i i think i think that 
I think the things are like I, I had mentioned before, things are getting better. I just my hope was that this would start a dialogue to make things even more incredible. And and I and I feel like I feel like we didn't necessarily capture that opportunity. But maybe, you know, we got I don't know, man. Sometimes I just feel like it's too divisive and everyone's pissed off and no, nothing constructive happened, but I could be wrong. And if if I am, please tell me. Well, no, nah, I don't I don't necessarily think you're wrong. You know, I, I think for me, I think it literally goes back to you can't punch somebody 15 times or whatever, and then when they finally get up and knock you out, you can't be upset. So at some point, because when it gets divisive, I think it's like this, right? I think is the other side lack their their lack of taking I can't even think of the word right now. Their, their lack of accountability. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like you can't like there are lack of understanding, lack lack of accountability. It's like you we are now able to see more obviously police shooters and stuff, which I actually don't watch a lot of them because this is like for mental health and everything else. But it's like you don't, you can't be able to like be able to see that all the time and expect and don't expect black people to get upset. Like you're shooting kids yeah. who are playing with guns, you're shooting people who are unarmed, you're shooting people who's trying to get his son out of the back seat of the car. You're doing this, you're doing that. So at some point, and I mean this isn't also in every fucking like Dark Knight movie, Batman movie we've seen in the last couple of years, right? Yeah. It's like at some point the oppressed people are gonna be like, yo, bro, you you wilding right now, right? So while I think um and I'm just um, maybe I'm just talking on my ass, but I think the way to approach it would have been like, okay, we understand because this shit is fucked up. And I don't really care for an apology. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. These are things that are put in place. So that moving forward, these fucked up things do not happen. But yeah, for me, a lot of that was, oh, that's crazy. Don't worry, we hired a black director to shoot the new movie. Yo, that's cool, bro. But what about like this other stuff? And I think, and I, I think that's how it's always done. It's like, oh yeah, we got a few black people in Senate and government. But also, why? And this is, I don't mean to be a divisive person right now, but like, why are we electing people that's president? Fuck, they're fucking 70 years old, dog. Like, what is the 70 year old president? He's like fucking 80. I, dude, I feel this so hard. This is, yeah. they're into like moral, like, they're all old. They're all super old. You know, I I couldn't agree with you more on, yeah. on all those topics, man. I, I, 78, so 78 like yeah. think about that 78 almost fucking 80 and he's yeah. and he's he has the nuclear codes and then knowing that we had another person who was a fucking maniac that had the nuclear codes yeah. um you know that's, that's no one's afraid of nuclear war but i mean we, we did a podcast with uh thomas soul who was a nuclear non-proliferation uh uh-huh. not thomas soul um, i can't think of his name um but, uh, um that scared the shit out of me, but uh, it's it's 
it's it's a complicated issue, and I I agree with you. Sometimes it's like, yo, we're gonna hire a black director and whatnot. When when really it's like, what about what's what about yeah. entrepreneurship? What about teaching our people entrepreneurship and and uh, giving us the tools? Because I I also think that the lack of empathy sometimes comes from um, it comes from a lack of understanding of history with like you know redlining not letting uh let's affluent black families leave their situation because it was illegal for them to buy a house or this is super, something that's super interesting if you if you pull out a map of the united states and you look at like interstates like let's say that a black community is doing good they'll fucking run a highway right through and split up the community dude that that is something that's been happening as well so i mean th this is all past right and i really hope that we're not doing shit like this right now probably yeah. are but um it's just when you or, or the or the black wall street that that, that they I shut down it's Tulsa Oklahoma like oh yeah yeah, Tulsa, Oklahoma, but. yeah between um the watchman and damn what's this new show that new show I've been watching oh what's dude other, Lovecraft Lovecraft, Lovecraft yeah and there's yeah. something as simple I, as I, that I found out about that a few years ago, and I was shocked. I didn't even know about that. And by the way, it just popped in my head. Do, uh, Thomas Graham Jr. is uh, mm -hmm. is a U.S. diplomat. That was who we recorded a, yeah. a, the podcast with. But um, hey, man, that's that's about all the time we have. This has oh, been sure. yeah. a, a joy to sit oh, down. Sure. We got to do this again, bro. Oh no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, man. As soon as uh, you just let me know, um, let me know. We're gonna have all of your information in the show notes and any new shoots, any anything you want to promote, man. You just come, you give me a call. Um, I'll see if I know any uh, any anybody that you'd want to shoot. I, I'm trying to think. I don't think I know any black farmers. Even I know quite a few farmers, but um, if I can help you in any way, man, I'm here. All right, we're we're in contact now. So I appreciate it's it. Been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it, where can people find you, man? Twitter, email. Give it a shout out. Uh yeah. So I'm mainly on Instagram. Honestly, it's just Timothy underscore Smith underscore. Uh, regular Timothy Smith was uh, taken. Uh, website is just Timothy hyphen Smith dot com. And um, yeah, I'm mainly on those two platforms. I've been in Clubhouse recently, so you can follow me on Clubhouse. It's just Timothy Smith 05. Um, and even on Clubhouse, we do something every week called Lens Talk, where me and a couple other creators, we just get together and chop it up. Sometimes we talk about gear, sometimes we talk about inspiration, blase, blase, what have it. Or sometimes we, all us creators, we just get in there and we just like get our shit off, get our grievances off, just talk about what we're going through at the moment. And um, yeah, I think that's it for me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate hey. it so much. Hey, anytime, man. And for my miners of intelligence, stay fucking hungry and don't give up no matter what. Thanks for listening, guys.